Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Over the last few weeks, we've been exploring topics on grief and loss. In this episode, we speak with Deb Hart, who lost her son when he was 22 years old. She shares her powerfully touching story with us on how grief has led her to joy. Deb is the founder of Pink Sisters, a nonprofit organization that specializes in retreats for those diagnosed with breast cancer. She has a boat on the Columbia River in Oregon, and there is no better way to find joy and let the waves of grief roll over you than on the water. If you're new to Breast Cancer Conversations, welcome. We share stories each week on all things breast cancer, from personal stories to medical advances. We are your one-stop shop for community support and education. In addition to our weekly podcast, I'd like to personally invite you to check out our Thursday Night Thrivers group. This is our virtual meetup that we host every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern via Zoom. Additionally, we have our NBC webinar series on Sundays and our monthly Breast Cancer Book Club, where we read books that have absolutely nothing to do with cancer. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you again for tuning in and welcome to the conversation. So in 2006, I lost my beloved son, Casey. He was 22 years old and I had been in the tugboat industry pretty much all my life. And with that came grooming of the child, Casey, to be the tugboat captain. And he could have went to work on the Columbia River, which is in the beautiful uh, Northwest, but he wanted to go to Alaska and hunt and fish. So five days after he um, got his Coast Guard certification off to Anchorage, Alaska, he went. And we got that nightmare phone call five days later. They found him dead on that boat devastation um, really put me into a deep spiral down. And I don't like the word depression when we're talking about grief because there is a difference. And that grief put me down into a deep, dark hole. And about six months into that deep, dark hole, I looked at the calendar one day and it said mammogram. And I said, you know, I haven't even left the house. I haven't hardly even brushed my teeth or my hair and my nails look horrible. And I looked at that almost every day on the calendar and I said, are you going to go in or not? And finally, a week prior, I filed my nails and brushed my hair and brushed my teeth and put some pink lipstick on, which is my signature, and to the doctor I went for that annual exam. And sure enough, stage three breast cancer after a biopsy. And down the breast cancer world I went. So with that... In my heart, I believe that that only happened because my white count got low. Cancer is in everybody. It reared its head because it had a perfect opportunity. Mm -hmm. And there it was. So 26 rounds of chemo, no radiation, 
back then, they always kept the radiation for the reoccurrence. Knock on every big piece of wood, Deb has not had any reoccurrence. But that was seven months after Casey had died. And I wasn't a good patient. I wasn't in a good state of mind to actually go down that breast cancer uh, journey. Well, after about three years of going through breast cancer, having my breasts removed, the whole journey My oncologist called me one day and she said, Deb, I've met this other amazing woman who also lost her child. And she's going to call you today and I want you to talk to her. And I didn't talk to many people. A lot of my friends didn't really know how to help me or what to do. And so they didn't do anything, which is a very common thing with grief. And so I answered that call. And she shared with me that she had gone on a grief trip. And it was a company out of California called Project Grace. And I looked them up on the internet and they were heading out in two weeks on this amazing catamaran trip in Athens, Greece, in the Mediterranean Sea. And I said to myself, if there's an opportunity for me to heal, it would be healing on the ocean. Since I had lost Casey and I was from the tugboat world, so the water has always been a big, huge part in my life. So sure enough, I put myself out there. There was 10 women, 10 moms, excuse me, including myself on a catamaran that was a huge catamaran We had a project manager, and we had a mental health specialist, and we had uh, a captain and two deckhands and a chef. And I got on that catamaran bitter, um, angry, tried to keep it kind of composed, if you will, but It was a hard couple of days, and then it was so profound. I let myself understand and hear other people's stories, and wow, 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 wow. I wasn't alone. I wasn't the only mom in the whole wide world who had lost a child. There were others. And they understood no more texts, no more pictures, no more birthdays, no more, no mores. But what they did have was memories, memories. And we, as moms who've lost children, hold on to memories so close because we are so afraid of them fading. On that trip... About the ninth day, it was profound knowing that I, too, was going to emerge. What was I going to do? It was pretty clear to me. 
I was going to help breast cancer survivors. Somehow, some way, didn't know how I was going to do it. No, I was not going to help moms who had lost a child. Way too tender. Way too grief-filling. And still, to this day, it's very difficult. I do have a lot of people who contact me because obviously I've become this beacon in the mom's world who moms have lost children and also the breast cancer world. When I got home from that trip to Greece, I had to make amends with a few of my besties because I'd kicked them out of my grief-filled world. But when they knew that I was on the recovery list of healing, they were so happy and wanted to help me in any way, shape, or form that I could be helped. And I had a vision, and it was a big vision. And the first thing I did was sent out to all these besties, and I had a very large group of friends what would we name a nonprofit if it was a breast cancer nonprofit? Well, I had lots and lots of names submitted. But Pink Sisters just had a ring, not sisters, mm-hmm. sisters. And so Pink Sisters, 10 years ago, in the next six weeks, 10 years ago, was born. And we started out with me purchasing a house up on a lake in Central Oregon. It was about two hours from Portland, kind of out of the way, but that was our first stop. And we had, I think, four retreats that summer. The problem was it was too far from Portland, the metropolitan area. So after about four years, I said, and I had been living on a floating home for some time, I said, what about a floating home on the Columbia River? Women walk down that ramp, and maybe they could be healed, just like I've been healed. So six years ago, I sold the house up at Pine Hollow, and there was a gorgeous home that was In my mortgage, where I lived, in my 900-square-foot home, this home was 2,800 square feet. And I just scarfed that right up, renovated it, and it had space for eight women. After doing retreats for about a year, I just felt like, "Mm, maybe six is better. It's just a lot to round up eight women. And what we did at those retreats, it was really simple. They arrived at five on Friday. We had dinner. They shared their story. I shared with them this was not religious-based. I had no undertow of anything I was selling them. It was about fun. Fun. Some women had stage one, some had double mastectomy, single mastectomy, some were terminally ill. It was 
a wide variety of eclectic women, but it worked. On Saturday morning, around nine o'clock back then, when we could have people come for um, uh, some sort of a service, we'd have a yoga instructor and she came and she taught yoga outside, out on that dock, throw those mats out, the birds, the sun, a little breeze, the Columbia River. It was amazing. And then they'd come in and we would, of course, have some breakfast and share their story. I would always ask them to share the short version. And then we would have um, a time when I could teach them some paddle boarding. And I had a friend in the mortgage who also came and assisted me. And then we would do some kayaking, have some lunch, and then we would always have some form of art. And most of the time it was jewelry making. We'd go out on a boat excursion because we had a car dealership, Weston Kia, who uh, donated a party barge boat to us, which was 22 feet long. And it was fun. We'd go to the island, maybe even have a fire, not always. Do some marshmallows that evening, have a fabulous dinner, and by that evening, you could see the bonding that would go on in these groups. These women were so intimidated by walking down that dock, didn't know anyone, and didn't know me, and you could see amazing relationships form. And then we would always talk about how we were all going to stay connected. Facebook, private groups. Someone would take on the project. That's how these groups would stay together. So <clears throat> then on Sunday morning, they were all kind of sad and thinking that they were going to, you know, have to go home. We would have breakfast. I would always have swag bags for them to take. And it was the reminder of their, of course, amazing um, retreat. And really, I did not ever need to do any advertising. These women were my advertisement. So that's how Pink Sisters got started. And it lives on just in a day retreat form now with COVID. They come at 11, they have lunch, we go out on the party barge boat, teach them a little kayaking and paddle boarding, do a little stretching, they get to share their story, and they go home at three. Mm -hmm. Is there an application process? Are you trying to still limit it to six people for social distancing purposes? Or how does that work? Actually, it's been four this season. Okay. Four women, four only. Um, you know, we're outside. Some feel like they want to wear masks, and we do. The boat is 22 feet long. There's plenty of space for us to social distance on the boat. And <clears throat> lunch is in a paper sack. So I think we've done a really good job. You know, back in um, March and April, April, we had a huge fundraiser. Normally we run on, you know, $30,000, mm -hmm. 
to do what we're doing. No one gets paid in our organization. We're all volunteers. And back then, you know, I, uh, when we couldn't do our major event, 250 guests, and raise that money, I said, you know what? I don't need that kind of money to do what I'm doing. I really don't. I can do it so much less. And all these retreats are free to every woman. And back to the application process, nope. They fill out a waiver when they contact our website. Fill out a waiver and everyone is welcome. Great. Excellent. I love the accessibility. And I think, you know, retreats are so important. We always talk about, you know, it, the the breast cancer community, it's a terrible disease with some of the best people in the community. And to share stories is such a healing opportunity for people to process everything that they've gone through, and then to hear how other people are processing and coping, and then to support each other. I think when we give of ourselves to support someone else, we are healing as well. Absolutely. I agree 100% with you. Yeah. And some women, then they don't think their story is quite so bad, you know, and it gives them the opportunity to move past it, not get stuck in it because we can, Mm -hmm. and let's all face it. There are a lot of side effects, but you, when you know that there's also people out there that are living with the disease and they're just happy, they're joyful, they're grateful, and uh, they have a lot of gratitude. And uh, so they're, you know, they're just, um, I think they're good. And we always have a couple people in the group that, you know, are, are just going to grab everyone and say, nope, you know, we're not going to talk about this. It's, it's not so bad. Mm-hmm. We're going to figure out a way to uh, move forward. So Absolutely. And, you know, I think you bring up really great points too about grief and how we need to acknowledge the grief that we're feeling, it can linger and last a very long time as well. And it's challenging because people who have not necessarily been through the loss or a grieving process, you're right, they kind of retract, they don't know how to respond. And they, they kind of hibernate until we're healed and ready to be quote, unquote, our, our normal fun, energetic selves again. What advice do you have for those friends who don't necessarily know how to respond, um, whether it is dealing with a death of a loved one, or also a lot of times in the breast cancer community, we lose friends who don't know how to cope with our own diagnosis, because the moment someone they know has breast cancer, it becomes tangible. They start thinking, oh my gosh, if she got it, can I get it? How did she do it? Was it genetic? If it wasn't genetic, was it something that she ate versus something I'm eating? And it becomes this like really mental comparison game. So I do understand how people kind of retract and, you know, kind of go into their shell because they don't know how to respond. It is very scary. But what recommendations do you have or advice that you have for people who are listening and recently found out that a friend has been diagnosed with breast cancer for, for, for the caregiver, for the friend, for the family, what advice would you share with them? You know, <clears throat> I believe that there are no words. Listening skills are so important and breast cancer survivors and also moms who have lost children. You know, I always say moms who have lost children when I talk about grief only because I really do know that grief. But 
Grief comes in so many forms, loss of a job, loss of that husband who leaves, loss of the pet. Uh, We can go on and on and on. And breast cancer is a huge grief. It is loss of our health, loss of our breath sometimes, loss of friends, loss of family. And that family who watches our Facebook page, and now they see that we've just finished chemo. They want to give us that high five and go, yay, you're good to go. No, we're not. We've only begun the grief of what has just happened to us. And that's usually when the family gives us a high five. And then they say, I was there for her. I, I, she's good to go now. Mm-hmm. That's the worst time you can leave. And sometimes as survivors are pretty sure that you don't know what we're going through and we don't want to hear your advice, but could you just call us or text us and say, Hey, I'm bringing a latte over and don't give us any backing out mechanism of, oh, no, I know you're busy today. I No, you don't need to. No, I'm fine. No. They're coming over, hopefully, to just sit on the sofa with you or the edge of the bed and listen and not tell us how they understand what we're going through because they don't. Right. They don't. No words. There are none. You know, I have some pet peeves with the loss of my son. And one of them is he's in a better place. No, no, he's not. The best place for my son would be right here on earth with me. Right here at 22. That was way too young. Just started his career. Not married, no children. I wonder every day, where would he be today? What would he be doing? Would he be married? Would there be children? What would he be doing? So there are some pet peeves, you know, that we have Mm -hmm. with grief. Yeah. One of my pet peeves was, for some reason, the term stay positive makes me cringe. And... (laughs) It's one of those things where it's in every get well card. It's in the text messaging. It's like, stay positive. And I know people are just trying to encourage us to keep going, to keep holding on to that willpower to show up week after week for chemotherapy or day after day for radiation treatment. And it is willpower to be showing up to something that is so toxic that we're willingly putting our bodies through. And I I go back and wonder, you know, is, is the comment stay positive? For me or for the person wishing me to stay positive? Is it for them who's still coping with knowing of my own diagnosis that they too need to remain positive and encouraged? But to your point as well, and what we were talking about is that it's important to understand not everyone is going to have happy, positive days all the time. And to say it's okay to not necessarily be okay all the time. And, you know, what I'm hearing also is that when we're grieving, it's not. 
it's we're not stuck in this place. It's fluid. We can go in the ebb and flow in and out of our grieving process. And yes. there's triggers that can maybe remind us of something and we snap right back into that moment. And then there's triggers that bring us right back out. And so I kind of see it almost as like the beating heart, right? Kind of like pumping and expanding and closing. And so that's just how I manage and envision the grieving process or the coping process where it's it's fluid. It's not a static destination that we're stuck in. I agree. And I always refer to that same ebb and flow and then that big massive wave that just knocks you off your feet, rolled up into a ball on the beach. And, you know, I love the analogy that I always share. When I was in Greece, I was walking up the Mediterranean Sea Beach. I was in Spensis, and I was all by myself. And I walked up around this corner, and I saw this glitter this glitter, this shiny in the sand. I got closer and closer and closer. Oh my gosh, it was thousands of pieces of sea glass. I put my hands down in that sand, pulled that sand up with that sea glass in my hand. And here it is, the profound message. In the beginning, that glass was razor, razor, razor sharp. But over thousands miles being tumbled up and down the beach, that glass had softened. The edges had softened. I too was in that same state of mind, razor sharp, and was starting to have my edges soften. It took a long time. It took me an amazing amount of time. And a lot of people got really angry with me for the amount of time that it took. But you know, I didn't care. I just didn't care. But after that trip, it was so clear to me what I needed to do with the apologies, start the nonprofit, get myself going again. And my friends were just so excited. So I always share that and that um, story about the sea glass. Because there's you and I've just shared it. Mm-hmm. It's the ebb and flow, and it's the waves of grief. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how long it takes. I will grieve my son for the rest of my life. There are different things that trigger me, and we're going into the holidays. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm not one of those fa-la-la-la-la people. I'm in that category of I hate the holidays. I try to just be okay with the holidays. But I'm so happy when they're over. So, Yeah, I think a lot of people can resonate with that. And now in light of COVID as well, the holidays are going to look very different for so many of us who are not willing to travel, cannot travel, are dealing with um, compromised immune systems, comorbidities, et cetera. So, you know, I think it's going to be a hard time when families who are used to getting together are not going to be able to get together either. So, you know, I think we're 2020, man. It's it's been a wild ride for sure. (laughs) 
Yes, it has. <clears throat> hey, you know what? I can't wait to send you my book. It's not just my book. It's um, our nonprofit's book of the 11 authors that shared their stories. So I will pop that in the mail to you this week. Oh, my gosh. You know, it uh, it, it was so well um, um People enjoyed it so much, and we sold so many copies of it that um, I'm just excited for 2021. We already have 15 authors to write their story for 2021. Oh, that's and amazing. And these are all breast cancer survivors who are sharing always their stories. And, <laughs> and all of them have been to the retreats. Okay. So, yeah, they have a little spin on the retreat also of, you know, what to take away and um, and, you know, I just say that hopefully um, 11 stories like chicken soup with rice type mm. stories, easy read. Um, I hope it will um, help someone um, who's going through breast cancer or has gone through breast cancer, is, is, in, is stuck in breast cancer, um, perhaps can help them put one foot in front of another and uh, get them back going again. Sure. You know, I ha when I first uh, asked many of the survivors, many of them said, I'm not a writer, Deb. Well, I'm telling you, Julie Pershing from Gallivant Press, she helps you so much, helps you get that down on paper. And she's been just a joy to work with. And it's been Every one of the authors last year said that they would have never been able to do it without some help and some guidance and some uh, encouragement. So yeah. that's been a huge thing for us this year. That's very exciting. And, you know, I appreciate that you shared your story with us on survivingbreastcancer.org as well. I think writing is so therapeutic and you know, something that we're looking to do in the future as well are host those writing workshops, right? Having those writing prompts and being able to take what you're feeling internally and put that um, on paper and to articulate that. It's helpful to have a writing coach and have someone there to kind of extrapolate what you're feeling and make sense of everything. So that's such a great healing opportunity. It's great to hear that you were able to consolidate these these amazing voices in the publication of a book. Yeah, you know, it was healing for me, too, to share my um, story, you know, in the book. I wasn't going to. I didn't want to. And Julie really encouraged me to do that. And um, so I, I, I did. But um, it was a stretch for me. I'm not a writer. I'm not a journaler. I, um, you know, I'm that person that takes that walk and just talks to myself and talks to myself you know, out of a, a bad place and into a really good place. So, you know, we all have our strengths. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah, you said something that I wanted to uh, pick up on a little bit about feeling stuck in breast cancer. And I think you and I, as, you know, founders of our own nonprofits and the work that we're doing, we are putting ourselves out there. We are putting our stories out there. We are kind of associated with our own diagnosis and it's interesting because you see on social media a lot of times different quotes um, around the idea of, you know, breast cancer is not your entire story. It is just a chapter in your life. You know, things 
things evolve and change. Even if you are thinking about breast cancer recurrence or other things in the back of your mind, it is no longer necessarily associated with your identity, right? Like your diagnosis is not your, sorry, how am I trying to say this? Your diagnosis is not your identity. However, I, as someone who started a whole nonprofit just like you around breast cancer and helping people with uh, their diagnosis, you know, it kind of is like I'm sitting around the table and, you know, friends and family are talking about their work and my work is breast cancer. My day to day is talking and hearing amazing stories about breast cancer. And while it's not me and my diagnosis, it is my world still. Have you been able to kind of reconcile kind of this this topic of, you know, we're not over it yet or we're stuck in breast cancer, but how we've been able to now kind of go forth and create these amazing foundations to help and serve? You know, in sharing your story at a retreat, a day retreat, a weekend retreat, in sharing your story, I'd have to say that mine is not so much breast cancer. It's the loss of this child. So I would never want to one-up anyone, but everyone has the biggest thing that ever happened to them. And these women who come to the retreat, it's usually breast cancer. Cancer darkened their door. And yes, it darkened mine too. But the loss for me is so much bigger. And I hear you when you say our nonprofit work is not a CPA, not a nurse, not a doctor, not a a treasurer, not the journalist, not, and it's a hard topic to talk about. A lot of people don't want to hear it, especially at a Thanksgiving dinner or something. They don't want it. That, that's a downer to them. Right. That, what? You know, those people are dying. No, they're not dying. Mm-hmm. They're alive. And they are surviving this. Yes, we do have some that don't make it through it. But there's a lot of science and research. And you know, Laura, it it's not a downer for me. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to help. I yeah. say mm-hmm. every time I get to help someone, it heals me again too. The power of healing. Deb, thank you so much for sharing your personal story of love and loss and the incredible work you are doing with Pink Sisters. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media and I'll link to all of our handles below. It would mean the absolute world to me if you could share this episode on social media. If we could reach just one more person, my heart would be filled. Your thumbs up, likes, hearts, comments, and shares are a great way to advocate and help elevate our voices and those of our guests. You can find out more about our organization and upcoming events and ways to connect via our website, survivingbreastcancer.org. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast is from personal experiences and it is not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always contact your medical care team. Until next time, keep on thriving.